Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for singing, Rachel. Uh, We serve a God who has given so much to us, and so I would encourage you, uh, as they encouraged you, we read in Corinthians that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. And in that context, Paul is asking for donations for others who were poor. So I'd encourage you to go and meet with Bonnie after the service and to consider sponsoring one of those children. And thank you for leading us in praise there. You please turn in your Bibles to our passage this morning, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 12. We're going to continue to praise God as we look at this passage. We've praised God by singing, by praying. We have praised God by giving. We are going to praise God at the end of the service by the taking of the Lord's Supper. And this morning, our passage is also a passage about praise. It is 10 verses, verses 3 through 12, in which Peter, though he would die just years later, though he was writing to an audience that was suffering as exiles in their present world, who were being slandered and mocked and beaten by some, who were being mistreated by their families, despite their hardship, He opens this book with praise, with glory to God, because God gives us a hope, a hope for the future that is a living hope now that changes how we live in the present. So would you please stand as we look at this praise to God from Peter, verses 3 through 12. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peter here is praising God. He is worshiping God. That is what we see in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Peter begins this letter written in hardship to those who are in hardship, not with sorrow, not with fear, not with tears, but with an explosion of praise to God. It's a surprising opening, but it's an appropriate opening. In fact, this whole section, verses 3 through 12, is all started by and focused on praising God. If you look in your English Bibles, this is probably one section, and that's because all of these verses that I just read, it was pretty long, right? In Greek, they're all one long, long run-on sentence. And it all starts with this praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says. And so Peter opens this letter in hardship with praise to God. Praise to God that results from what God has done for us and what God will do for us. In fact, this whole passage praises God because of a hope. A hope that is still future, but that shapes our lives today. And so as we go, I want us, our main takeaway to be that we should praise God just as Peter did, but that we can praise God for particular reasons. Because first, he gives us a hope for the future, hope that's to come. We can praise God because this hope gives us joy in the present, even in a difficult present, and that this hope that God has given us was promised to us in the past. So the first thing we see, verses 3 through 5, is that we should praise God because he gives us a hope for the future. Paul writes, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul begins, Peter begins by saying that God in his mercy has done something for us. God, in his mercy, as we saw last week, has chosen us. He's made us his own through the work of Jesus, through his blood shed on the cross, and through his resurrection. And that what God has done is he has caused us to be born again, to be given new life. We are taken from death and we are brought to life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But that it's not just that we're saved in the past, that we're saved from sin, we're also given new birth towards something, towards a living hope, and verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Peter is writing to those then and to us now who live in a world in which hope can be hard to come by. He's writing to those then who are being oppressed by those around them. They're being slandered because they follow Jesus. They're being put under pressure by their family and their friends and their co-workers. That's the setting of the book that we saw last week. And so Peter encourages them that even though things seem difficult now, there is a bright future in store for them, a living hope, not just some nebulous, mushy feeling like, oh, I should just hope a little more, just need to have positive thinking, rather a solid hope, a hope grounded in what Jesus has done in the resurrection and a hope that is kept secure for them by God in the future. Notice how Peter describes this hope. He says, you've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance. Believers who belong to God, who are trusting in Christ, have an inheritance. Peter had an inheritance. 
His audience then had an inheritance. We have an inheritance. There's something ahead for us that is good, that is glorious, and that we can set our eyes on. And Peter makes absolutely clear that this inheritance is secure because God keeps it for us. Notice the three words he uses to describe this inheritance, verse 4. He says it is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. Three unwords, three things that it is not. First, this inheritance is imperishable. It will never be destroyed. It will never be lost. We who follow Jesus don't need to worry about whether our future is secure. We have an inheritance from God that will never be destroyed. It can't be touched by fires or tornadoes or hailstorms. It will not be lost in a stock market crash. We have a secure and unperishing inheritance. This inheritance is imperishable. It is also undefiled, Peter says. Nothing will degrade it or contaminate it. No one can vandalize this inheritance. The focus is on it being pure and kept spotless and clean. That might seem like a weird thing to use to describe an inheritance, but remember their setting. They're being attacked by those around them. They're being mocked. They're being slandered. And Peter says, your inheritance... No one can defile it. No one can degrade it. No one can touch it. It will never be destroyed. It will never perish. It will never be defiled. And then lastly, he says that this inheritance, this future hope they have, is unfading. It will never lose its shine. The polish will never come off the inheritance. It will never lose its beauty over time. It will always have that new car smell. The inheritance will never be destroyed, it will never be defiled, and it will never fade. Not over time. This inheritance for us, for them, for Peter, is secure. And it is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading because of God's faithfulness. Notice what he says, verse 4, it is kept in heaven for you. That is, God has set this inheritance for us. He set it aside, and he has promised to keep that inheritance. And that's one of the reasons why Peter is praising God, right? The whole thing is framed by praise to God. He says, praise God. He's given us new birth into this living hope, to this inheritance that is secure, that is kept in heaven for us. But he continues, not only is the future hope secure, not only will our inheritance not be lost, we ourselves who follow Jesus are going to be guarded until we reach that inheritance. The inheritance is secure, and those who follow Christ are secure. Notice what he says, verse 5. He says, It's kept in heaven for you, for believers, who by God's power, so God is doing this, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a lot packed in there, so let's unpack it quickly. He says, you are being guarded. The word guarded is a military word in Greek, has the idea of setting a military guard to protect a position or to protect someone. And he uses this language and he says, God is guarding you, my hearers. He says, he's guarding you, Christians. He has set a secure guard over you, and he is guarding you through faith, through your trust in Jesus, for something. 
He gave us new birth for something. He's guarding us for something. He's guarding you for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's this picture. The future is secure. We're going towards this inheritance that God is guarding. But God is also guarding us on the entire path to this inheritance, to this salvation. Now that is really good news in a world where we feel the effects of sin, where we feel the effects of living in a world that is not friendly to Jesus, where we see, as Peter did in his day, that many oppose Jesus and also put pressure on those who follow him. And so Peter's writing to them, they're under pressure, they're under siege, and he says, guess what? No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult things get, your hope is secure and you are secure. God will not let you be drawn away from the path. God has set a guard over you. So there's this future hope. And it's no surprise that Peter gives praise to God, right? God has given us new birth to this future hope. He's keeping this inheritance for us. And he's guarding us for this coming salvation. And the focus is future, right? Verse 5, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We often think of salvation as primarily something that's happened in the past, right? We'll talk about I was saved by Jesus when I was 14 or whatever the age is. And it's true that we are saved from sin by what Jesus has done for us in the past. Peter talks about that. He talked about it last week when he talked about how we were sprinkled by Christ's blood. He talks about it when he talks about how we've been born again into a living hope. But often in scripture, Salvation is also presented as something still future. And that's the way Peter talks about it here. He says, you are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In the time when Jesus returns and saves us from sin, but also, remember the context they're in, from a world that opposes them and opposes Jesus. And so Peter says, there is a salvation coming, and God's going to keep you for it. So we praise God because he gives us a hope for the future. He gives us an inheritance. He keeps that inheritance, and he keeps us for that coming salvation. But this hope isn't just something that we put on our calendar for the future, as if we could predict it, and then just don't do anything with it in our lives. Instead, this future hope shapes our lives now. This future hope gives us joy as Christians in the present. We see this in verses 6 through 9. Verse 6, he's just finished laying out this future hope, right? See that in verses 3 through 5? And then he says, in this, and there he's referring to everything in 3 through 5, this future hope, this future inheritance, God's guarding. In all of that, that future hope, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He says, look, I know that things are hard. I know you're suffering, you're going through trials, and they're difficult trials. You've been grieved by these trials. They are going through a painful situation as exiles and strangers in their world. And their situation is not unique. Jesus said that all men would hate you because of his name. Hebrews talks about how we are sojourners and strangers going through this world. We see it all through the pages of Scripture. And so Peter writes to Christians and he says, look, I know that until that future salvation comes, until Jesus comes back, you may 
if necessary, be grieved by various trials. But even as you're grieving in this painful present, Peter says you're rejoicing. He says in this, in this future hope, you rejoice, even though right now things are hard. Because this future hope of the salvation and the inheritance that we will receive when Jesus returns reframes our present sufferings for Jesus. Notice what Peter says. He says, These trials have come, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, You're going through difficulties. I know that. And Peter was no stranger to this. He would die years later, probably two or three years after he wrote this, being crucified upside down for Jesus. But he says, I know things are difficult, but these trials that are coming to you, they're not going to break you because God is guarding you by faith, and they actually will result in glory and praise and honor for you when Jesus comes back. Because what these trials do, if you follow Jesus faithfully in suffering, they serve to show the genuineness of your faith. They authenticate your faith. He uses the language of metal, metallurgy. How many of you have been up to Deadwood? I've been up to Deadwood. They do a lot of mining up in the Deadwood area, right? And one of the problems with mining is you have to separate the true metal from the false metal. You have to purify it of impurities or adulterations or additions. And Peter here compares their faith to that. He says, your faith is like gold, which when it's put through the fire, is purified. And when it's purified, it is shown to be the real deal, and it results in praise and glory and honor. He says your faith is actually more precious than gold, because gold, when it's put through the fire, can eventually be melted and destroyed. But he says your faith isn't going to do that. It doesn't perish like the golden fire, but it is refined. And so you rejoice in this future hope, in your painful present, Because you know that these flames that you're going through, Peter says, they don't destroy you, and they actually serve to show the world your true faith, to show your faithfulness to Jesus. And then he says that it will result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes back at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe verse 7 is talking about praise and glory and honor for believers who faithfully follow Jesus. That is, Peter is saying, look, things are hard, but there is a crown of glory in store for you. There is praise and honor that will come to you if you faithfully follow Jesus through these trials. And so, even when things are hard, you can look forward and you can rejoice. Because in the end, you'll be vindicated. Jesus will come back and your faith will be honored. Now, this is really good news in a world that is not friendly to Jesus or to his followers, right? Jesus says, all men will hate you because of my name, right? They're not receiving praise and glory and honor from a world that's opposed to Jesus. We won't receive praise and glory and honor in this present life if we faithfully follow Jesus. It won't happen. But what is said here is that we will, if we follow Jesus faithfully, receive praise and glory and honor when he comes back. And so Peter holds out this future hope and tells them, even in the present pain, we rejoice. 
And so in verse 8, he describes their rejoicing. So it's not just Peter saying, do this. It's something they're already doing, something we should be doing. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you haven't seen him yet, he hasn't come back, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's like you're going through pain, you don't see Jesus yet, he's not there in the flesh with you, but you're rejoicing. You love him. In fact, your rejoicing is so great that it's inexpressible. You can't put it into words. And so Peter describes a life of praise and joy, even in the midst of sorrow. And this praise and joy comes because of the future hope that will be ours when Jesus returns. So we praise God because he gives us a hope for the future. We praise God because this hope for the future gives us joy in the present. And if that weren't enough, we also praise God because this hope was promised in the past. That's what Peter tells us in verses 10 through 12. He says, you are inex- you're filled with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you're headed on this, this track to salvation and glory in Jesus. And then Peter says, this track that you're on, these glories that are coming for you, this was all promised in the past. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Here Peter is talking about Old Testament prophets, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, prophets like David, who he says, the spirit of Christ spoke through. Verse 11, they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So he says these prophets were spoken to through the Spirit of Jesus. So Jesus spoke through them and they predicted Jesus's sufferings at the cross, but also the subsequent glories. So the resurrection, Jesus's return, and the glories that will be ours when Jesus returns. And he says, when Jesus spoke to them, when the Spirit of Christ spoke to them in the past, they wanted to know all the details. They wanted to know when, what, how, why, where. They searched and inquired carefully, verse 10. And they searched and inquired because they saw these things are glorious. These things are beautiful. These things are wonderful. They're hope-filled. And yet they were told... Peter tells us, verse 12, that they were serving us. As great as Isaiah and Moses and David were, they were servants to us. Notice what he says, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He says they were predicting, they were looking forward to Jesus And they were hoping it would come true for them. They were trying to figure out the time. And God told them, you're serving those who will come to know my son. Those who will hear the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection proclaimed to them. And so Peter says to these hearers who are suffering, who are suffering for Jesus, who are in what seems like a difficult spot, in what seems like a pretty lowly place, they're being slandered and attacked by their neighbors, They're exiles, temporary residents in their world. He says, you guys 
are who God has been working for salvation for since the past. You've got a place that is more prestigious, more important than even the great prophets of old. And so we can be encouraged that God has had a plan since the beginning. Nothing has been outside of his control. Nothing is going outside of his plan. And that we as Christians, this side of the resurrection, even as we wait for his return, have a special place in the workings of God in the world a place even more prestigious than that of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And that's really encouraging, especially when we live in a world that doesn't show that sorts of honor to followers of Jesus. And then if being greater than the prophets weren't enough, Peter throws in at the end that we're even greater than the angels. He says the angels long to look into these things. They long to see and know the details of salvation. And he says, you've got a more prestigious place than the prophets of old and the angels. And so Peter lays out in these passages a beautiful picture of what God is doing, of what God is doing for those who follow him, for those who put their faith in Jesus. He says, God has a great living hope in store for you in the future. You've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that will never be destroyed, that will never be defiled that will never be degraded, that will never fade. You are being guarded for the salvation by God's power. And when he returns, you will receive praise and glory and honor. So he says there's a future hope for you. And he says this future hope should cause you to praise God, but it should cause you to praise God in the present. Even in the fiery trial that we go through, we trust in God. And we can do so knowing that all of this is going according to plan that we have a great and prestigious place in his plan for history, that all of these things were promised in the past. So I would encourage you, as you consider these things, praise God, worship God, give thanks to God. We're going to do that in a few minutes through the taking of the Lord's Supper. But even when things are difficult, and we live in a world that's dark, just as it was dark in Peter's day, a world in which we wait for the light of Christ, let's do so with hope. The best is yet to come. Would you please pray with me? I'm going to pray through the passage that Peter gives us here. Blessed be you, our God and Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to your great mercy, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, which you keep in heaven for us. We thank you for guarding us by your power through faith for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Help us to rejoice in this, even though now for a little while it may be necessary for us to suffer various trials. And would these trials make our faith to be shown to be genuine and would they result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is a joy to gather together to praise God together. We've done that already through singing, through giving, through praying, through reading and preaching of God's word. And now we are going to do so through the Lord's Supper. That is another way that we praise and give thanks to God. It is a meal for the family of God, for those who trust in Jesus Christ, If you are here this morning and you do not yet trust in Jesus, we would encourage you to consider.
who he is and the salvation that he offers both now and in the future. I would be happy to talk with you after the service about what that means and what that looks like. But if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you not take the elements. But if you are a Christian here today, come to the table and eat and remember what Jesus has done, but also give thanks for what he will do. Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, said that he would not drink of it, of the fruit of the vine, until he drank it anew with his disciples in the kingdom of heaven. And so as we eat this bread and take this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death, we look back, but we also do so until he comes. So we look forward. So I'd encourage you as we do that to look back and look forward. The elders, please come forward, and then I will pray for the bread.